Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I'm the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been treating you? I'm okay, Josh. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm getting by. Um, We've had some actual news, some actual action across Major League Baseball over the last week or two, and so we have a lot to talk about this episode. We've got um, some GM news, we've got free agent signings, we've got the qualifying offer decisions, and our main topic of the episode will be talking about Francisco Lindor. It seems like his market's heating up, um, various sources saying that he's a lock to be dealt this winter, which makes sense given what we know with Cleveland and the market. So that's going to be our main topic of the episode, and let's just jump right into it. Let's start with the news. Um, first off, we had the two... I'd say the two largest uh, general manager openings were both filled over the last couple of weeks. Um, The first one was the Los Angeles Angels hired Perry Manasian. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Manasian? Okay. I'm not totally sure, but that's my guess. Uh, He's a name that was not on my radar. Um, I don't know about you. (laughs) Um, from, From most of the names that we had seen them interviewing, they were a lot of those kind of... Um, assistant GM types, maybe whose names you don't see in the news all the time. Um, but for a while there, the, the popular name here was Dave Dombrowski, and you've got a lot of people speculate. We even speculated a little bit. If, you, if Dave Dombrowski took over the Angels, what would he do? How would he <laughs> blow yeah. up that farm to build yep. them a winner? <laughs> there goes um, Adele. And, there goes and, Marsh. Yep. <laughs> yep. And maybe, maybe Perry Manazian still does that. Maybe he's got a little... Dombrowski streak in him. Maybe ownership says we don't care how you do it, just build us a winner. Um, but I, I mean, I guess there's just not much I can say here, not knowing a whole lot about him as an executive. No, I don't either. Um, what you know, we have heard is that it can be difficult working for Artie Moreno, um, mm-hmm. who um, you know I think sometimes overrules the GM, which can make that job particularly challenging. Right. Um, we saw that a little bit with the Pujols deal, I believe. Yeah. And they're still kind of, <laughs> they're still stuck under that one. Yeah. And the um, Ross Stripling, uh, Jock Peterson, Nick, right. that was Mariano. Yeah. <laughs> right. They really could have used them last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. That's always, that's obviously a very interesting franchise when you have a, as much money as they have and b a Mike Trout and a Shohei Otani. That's yeah, a really I think, good place to start. It is a really good place to start, and I think it's a real challenging job, not only just for the Marino respect, but the mandate is obviously you've got Mike Trout still in his prime. Give me a winning team while he still is in his prime before he falls right. off, you know. And but at the same time, they have to do that in a sustainable manner. So we were joking about Dombrowski would have just sold the farm and 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 went for it, but I'm not sure a guy like Manassian would do that. <clears throat> I think mm-hmm. he's going to try to thread the needle. We'll see. Yeah, it's it's this duality where every season that they miss the playoffs with Trout, the pressure for the next year is just even higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you said, they can't just mortgage it all for one year because Trout's there his whole life, his whole career, basically. He's mm-hmm. locked up. And yeah, he's going to decline a little bit. But for at least the next few years, you're still expecting Mike Trout, Mike Trout. <laughs> so you can't... I mean, you don't yeah. Wanna, he... You don't want to sell out for 2021 and then waste... 2022, 23, 24, 25. Right. Trout but is still very effective. And, and, you know, he's not going to be a center fielder forever. He'll probably move right. to a corner and, you know, that'll, the war numbers will start to go down a little bit from nine to eight to seven to six to five, you know, so, but still, he, you know, 
couple years from now, he's still a five-war player, maybe in left field or right field. That's okay, you know? Maybe he's got he's so much up. room to decline, so much <laughs> yeah, room to right. age and still be one of the best in the league, still be an all-star. Yeah. So, all right. So from there, we move to the uh, the bigger GM hiring, the bigger headline here. And this was the Marlins who kind of shocked a lot of people and hired Kim Ng as their new general manager. Um, the, the more you read about Kim Ng, the more you realize this is long, long overdue. Um, so she's she's been generally agreed upon as the first female general manager, I believe, in American pro sports. And it's you look at her track record, you look at her resume, and it's like, how did this not happen a decade ago? How did this not happen two decades ago? <clears throat> she's She's got this laundry list of different front office experience. I, think, I believe she has three rings. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. She's highly regarded by everyone who has ever met her. And this just seems, seems like an awesome hire for Miami. Obviously, she does not have general manager experience, so we don't really have a whole lot to go off of there. But... Um, the way that she's so highly regarded, it, it, it just seems like a good hire for Miami on the field. And then off the field, of course, uh, there's not enough that can be said about how huge this is for representation <clears throat> and yeah. for, for women everywhere, for female baseball fans everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic hire, great news for baseball and, you know, the larger society in general. So long time coming. You know, it's it's unfortunate that it took her so long because she is mm-hmm. in a way overqualified. Um, in addition to the previous front office's job, she's been, you know, working in the uh, MLB uh, MLB senior level capacity for about nine years now, I believe, which gives her an additional sort of advantage knowing how that all works. So, you know, I like to think we shouldn't make any big deal about it. it shouldn't, you know, <clears throat> gender should not matter, background should not, you know, hire the best person. She should have been hired long ago. I'm hoping we eventually get to a world where we're not talking about this as big news that it's becoming an everyday thing it doesn't right and you just you just think about the last 20 years really you think about in the entirety of baseball's history you cannot say in the entirety of baseball's history kim ing is the first qualified woman for a gm role that that's just not true there have been no plenty of women who are qualified would have been qualified and who just never got that opportunity even if you narrow that down last 20 years she's probably not the only qualified woman. And so that's where this, that's where it comes into play. That's where representation is huge. That's where, that's why this is such a big deal is because even if you don't see it, there's, there's, there's something going on there. There's some level of natural discrimination of natural boys club that that's kind of kept women out of that spot, that role in the front office. Um, I'm sorry, we're getting breaking news. Theo Epstein just stepped down. Wow. Speaking of GMs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the notification literally just popped up on my phone. Um, you got any knee-jerk reactions to that? Um, the Mets are looking for a president of baseball operations. Could it be they talked him into it? And maybe the Cubs agreed? It's possible. I don't know want to speculate here, but um, we knew he was in the last year of his contract, and he had previously denied um, you know, wanting another job yet, but maybe that changed. Yeah, so so it looks like Jed Hoyer will take over his spot. Um, that's not an enviable spot at all. <laughs> the way the <laughs> they got a rebuild coming. Trending. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's not going to be a friendly one on their fans. Um, yeah. You got a core there of Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, who are all heading closer to free agency, who are all getting a little older, who have all had some down years. Yep. 
that that's not going to look pretty there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so good luck, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> and good luck, Theo, wherever he ends up. Right. Um, so getting back to the Angels and the Marlins real quick, I just wanted to ask, which one of these jobs do you think is more attractive? Because on the surface, the reaction is, of, of course, it's the Angels. They've got more money. They're on the West Coast. They have less <laughs> of a stigma around them than the Marlins do. The, the budget Marlins, the Loria Marlins, the fire sales. But then you look a little closer, what we mentioned before with Artie Marino and how difficult he can be to work under. Yep. With the pressure in Los Angeles, with the failure of the last decade, really, <laughs> and the Marlins with kind of how strong of a 2020 season they had and how great their culture is looking right now. Yeah, and the, the bevy of young talent that they have coming mm. up. I think that's far more attractive, actually. Um, you know, any any sort of executive would like to sort of make their mark and have some autonomy. And I think, you know, despite what, you know, it's been said that uh, the Marlins have sort of a collaborative culture, they're all sort of involved. And I, it, I, yes, probably to some degree, but it's also probably true they were sort of covering for the fact that they hired hadn't hired a GM yet. So like, oh yeah, we're all just going to sit around the table and make a decision together. That's probably <laughs> not reality. Somebody's got to run the thing. And yeah. and, and I'm guessing there's going to be some autonomy there or shoot, or Kim wouldn't have taken it. So um, I think that's the more attractive job just because you don't have already breathe, breathing over your shoulder quite as much. You know, you might have Derek Jeter, <laughs> but I don't mm -hmm. think he's going to be quite as, as, you know, I'm going to use the word pushy, <laughs> you know, uh, as as perhaps already would be. So I think that's the main difference here. Yeah, with Jeter, it's it's interesting. He obviously made those three huge splash moves right around when he joined with the, the fire sale to move Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna. Mm -hmm. And Yelich, that one, everyone could see from a while away that that one wasn't looking too great. Yelich looked like a breakout candidate. I don't think anybody saw him doing what he ended up doing. Um, so that one's a bit of a yikes. Um, Ozuna, that deal wasn't bad. Stanton, he hasn't played much. He's still got a whole lot of money left on that contract. That deal wasn't bad. Not and at all. And then the next season, JT, uh, JT Real Muto, he played two pretty solid seasons in Philadelphia and then left without them making the playoffs. Meanwhile, Sixto Sanchez looks like the next big thing for the Marlins. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when you look at Jeter's track record, and then there's there's everything that happened in 2020, and it's it's hard to... There's actually a great Foolish Baseball video that he just posted on this, on the 2020 Marlins, and it's hard to give them too much credit for what they did because it was a self-imposed... Uh, it was self-imposed adversity, and, and they admitted as much. They said... Uh, I'm referring to their, their early season COVID shutdown, right. which wiped out about... I think it was 18 members of the organization between team and coaches, uh, players and coaches. And they, they admitted that, that, so there were conflicting reports. Some said they went to bars. Those were disputed. Um, but Jeter did admit they maybe got a little bit lax in the hotels and with each other. They let their guard down a little bit too much and they paid for it. And so it's a self-imposed affliction, self-imposed adversity, but they did fight through it. And a big part of that was the front office. The front office went insane that week with transactions. They were just mm -hmm. snapping up every player they could. They had to rebuild their entire infield, their entire bullpen on the fly. And it worked. They were able to tread water long enough to get their <clears throat> talent back and push for the playoffs. 
Yeah, and 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 don't discount Michael Hill's involvement in all this. He's the right. he, he's the previous executive that you know was in charge of the Marlins, and um, he's he's out there interviewing for next job right now, and he could be one of the candidates for the Mets or the Phillies. We're not sure yet, but um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he should be given credit for holding that ship together and making those moves, and you know, um, <clears throat> even um, the earlier moves you were just referring to, he was involved in those as well. It's hard to say yeah. whose decision those were. Was it Jeter's? Was it Hill's? All of them? I don't know. Um, you know, so there were some good, some bad, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that's not uncommon for a GM. But he should be credited for the job he did in 2020, to your point. Yeah. And just to mention there, you, you brought up the Mets. If we're talking about attractive openings, the Mets might be the most attractive Absolutely. GM opening we've seen in a long time. That the way is the that, job. The yep. way that Cohen knocked it out of the park in his opening presser and basically just broadcast what we had kind of been speculating that, yeah, the Mets are going to open their pocketbooks this winter. Um, that's It's great yep. to see, and it's incredibly attractive if you're one of these GMs, either one of these prospective GMs, these current assistant GMs that want that first job, or if you're one of these recently fired GMs that wants to catch on somewhere the Mets are the first place you're looking yeah they're actually hiring two they're hiring the president of baseball operations and the mm -hmm. GM underneath that uh, Sandy Alderson is there you know he's he's an older guy he's been around the block and you know he actually you know we know you know used to work for the Mets so he was the ideal hire to bring in um, for Cohen to bring in to kind of like resize the ship he's also kind of the in a way sort of the unsung father of analytics he, he yeah. mentored billy bean so he's kind of got that side of him but he's also got the experience with the mets and he's also got mm -hmm. sort of the forward thinking thing but he's also older and he doesn't want to you know i don't think he's going to be there in the long run i think he's just there to kind of get everybody hired get it all on the right track revamp the analytics system revamp the departments get it all in place and then the president will run things and the new president baseball operations run thing with the gm sort of running day to day so that's a very attractive job because whoever comes in and maybe it's theo i'm just speculating um will have kind of the opportunity to kind of set their mark sandy will eventually ride off into the sunset and and off you go and you've got an owner who's supportive who wants to win but you know also want, believes in sustainability so so you've got kind of the perfect sort of uh, opportunity there yeah yeah from everything i've seen from alderson that's exactly how it is um it's going to be a short-term thing he doesn't want full control but he is going to have a say in decisions and so yeah. that's 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 what you want from from a front office brain trust. You don't want the Artie Moreno yeah. overlord <laughs> dictating yeah. every move. You want Cohen, who knows his limits. I, I think he was very, very quick to say that he's not going to have the final say in a lot of these baseball decisions. He's going to leave that to the people who know the numbers, who know the yeah. decisions better. And then you got Alderson, who's got all the experience. He's got a wealth of knowledge there, uh, but he's not going to get his hands too dirty. So. Yeah. Perfect. So the Mets are actually a great transition to our next piece of news. Um, that's the qualifying offers. So we had already discussed Kevin Gosman last week. Uh, I believe we just discussed that he was given the qualifying offer. He did accept it um, as we expected. And the other one to do so was Marcus Stroman. And Stroman did it very publicly through Twitter um, and basically cited the Steve Cohen <laughs> press conference as a motivating factor for that. Um, of being excited to play for the Mets with him in charge. Um, so you wrote an article about these two accepting. What are your thoughts? So <clears throat> and my point is it made sense because these were the two borderline cases. The other four, 
you know, were way off. They would have way too much surplus value. They'd be leaving way too much money on the table. And I think that's understood by everybody who follows baseball. These two were borderline cases. They're, they're you know, if they weren't um, given a QA, I'm sorry, QO, they're, um, they might have been looking at a deal right around this range. You know, based on our numbers, we have Gosman at um, a little bit of a surplus at 1.8. We have Strowman at a little under at minus 0.4. There's both rounding errors. In other words, they're right on the money in terms of what they're what they're worth is is right around the qualifying offer. So, I think it makes sense for 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 both uh, players to take that. Um, now, keep in mind they could have said no. Um, Saying no means whoever signs you has to sort of bake in a little bit of the draft pick hit because you're going to lose a draft pick, so that's going to hurt the player a little bit. And also, both of these guys are sort of now sort of right around 30 years old, and so they're going to have some decline years ahead. So if you look at the AAV, if they signed a two- or three-year deal, it would be for less and less and less. So this way, they could say, okay, I got a one-year deal at a reasonable rate. I'm good. Um Gosman is the one that surprised more people, but, you know, he really had a good season. Obviously, it's a shortened season, but it was a good one. And it really kind of upped his profile. Uh, and, and keep in mind, you know, when he first came up, he was a top prospect and he had high potential. And sometimes, you know, he bounced around a little bit and, and he didn't quite live up to it. But he, some guys just find it later. And he seemed to be one of those guys who finally found his rhythm. So good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we first got the news about Gosman being offered the qualifying offer it was kind of a uh, it was it was a shock at first but then you look a little closer into the numbers the peripherals are very good the velocity was very good in 2020 he had a solid season he's a solid pitcher the giants have money to spend why not yeah and they need and it then, <laughs> right right they need all the talent they can get especially yeah. in that rotation yeah stroman i'm a little disappointed I, I understand him taking the qualifying offer. I was just really looking forward to his free agency because mm-hmm. I feel like he's such a fascinating player. Uh, and even before 2020, when he opted out of the season, missed the whole season uh, with, with injury and then the opt-out, um, even before 2020, I, I thought he was so interesting where the strikeout rates were low, ground balls high. Uh, he was always respected so much for his makeup, for his attitude on the mound. Um, and it really seemed like perception was higher than value, and it just yeah. stayed that way. Yeah. Uh, usually with guys like that, they kind of crash down to earth. But even as he was having some kind of shaky seasons, uh, he was always, always just seen as this ace, uh, this I, I don't know what it was. Um, so I was, I was really interested to see how that would translate to the market. Um, for, unfortunately, we don't get that opportunity. But if you're Stroman, it just makes too much sense to take this deal. Um, 18 and a half is very clearly more than he would have gotten per year on a multi-year deal. Right. And he gets to stick around with the Mets for one more season. He can try the market again next year without the qualifying offer concerns, since you can only get one. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gives him a chance to rebound from not playing in 2020. So perfect sense. Yep. From there, let's transition. Uh, that, That felt like it kind of set the starting pitching market. And then these two signings, these two free agent signings, I think are really interesting for what we can say from there about the market. Uh, so the first one, this one was a little over a week ago. The Blue Jays re-signed Robbie Ray. Uh, they traded for him, picked him up from the Arizona Diamondbacks for essentially nothing uh, because he was just having a yeah. 
an abysmal, a historically bad <laughs> 2020 season. He couldn't find the strike. He, he had touted before the season that he made this mechanical adjustment, and everyone was excited. Oh, maybe he'll find a strike zone. Maybe he'll take that next step we've been waiting for. He did the opposite. He yeah. had no idea where the ball was going, except for when it was going over the fence behind him. Um, yeah. It, yeah. A really, really rough season to watch. Um, and he was he was okay for the Blue Jays um, down the stretch for them after they traded for him. Still not pretty, but he was okay. And they decided that that was worth one year and $8 million. So our numbers say it was. Um, we have him at a little bit of a surplus. So he, um, we think he's worth 8.9 based on our modeling. So a little bit of surplus is 0.9. Again, basically a rounding error, fair value. Yeah. Um, and that's basically because of you know, you got to factor in his track record before this and the fact it was shortened season. And maybe he says, you know what, maybe that mechanical change wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to at least, you know, what I was before, you know, I had problems, but it was better than that. So when the Rays are, I'm sorry, the Jays are thinking, well, we need more starters. That's probably a decent fair value price that he bounces back. So um, that makes sense to me. It's, I don't disagree that there's value there. It's just bizarre to me in the context of this market when we had just seen yeah. Brad Hand go unclaimed on a one-year $10 million deal. Zero yeah. teams wanted to take him. And maybe yeah. things are different if, if we fast forward another week and Cohen's finally taken over the Mets. Maybe they snag him up. I've seen that kind of speculated. But still, no team wanted him at one year and $10 million after the fantastic season he just had. But Robbie Ray is the first real free agent off the board at one year and eight. That's yeah. It doesn't I can't get that to make sense in my mind. I yeah, I hear you. I had the same reaction. Um, my rationalization is starting pitching is always more in demand and less in supply. So mm -hmm. get it while you can. Um, so in other words, there's an implication that the starting pitching market may be less affected, perhaps even unaffected by the budget cuts. Um, we talked about this in the last episode, that the budget cuts are likely to be hit mostly around the, the fringes of the roster, guys that you could be replaced, you could replace. So I'm not sure if anybody, so clearly no one wanted to play, pay 10 million, excuse me, 10 million for a reliever. And that's gonna be true of, you know, utility infielders and backup catchers and fourth outfielders as well. So the fringes of your roster is where, and especially anybody who's making money you know, it can be replaced by a minimum or, or around their player. That's where the cuts are. Starting pitching, you might still say that's a core position that's too needed. And so we're still going to we're going to get it. Now, it's notable that, you know, these were not um, and we'll talk about Drew Smiley in a moment. These are these are not like the top of the market, guys. This is not Trevor Bauer we're talking about here. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but these are guys that are sort of in the middle tier and they're getting fair value. And so I find it interesting, like maybe the supply and demand kind of, it all balances out. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm thinking that you, you hit that right on the nose there that maybe the market's a little down in general because of all the budget issues, but just the high demand, very, very low supply of capable starting pitchers on the market this year. Yeah. Uh, they balance each other out, and so we're getting close to market value for these guys in the yeah. early goings. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that continues down the entire market or if we do reach a point where maybe a Brett Anderson, just to pull a name off the top of my head, maybe he should be getting three or four, 
and he ends up getting a minor league deal or something like that. Maybe we right. f- find that cliff where right. those guys are kind of those roster fringe that you're talking about. Right. Um, if you had asked me, I would have said that Robbie Ray was one of those types, just based yeah. on how pathetic he was in 2020. But you have to you have to take a larger scope than that. Yeah. Um, he only threw 51 innings, 51 and two thirds innings, um, and before 2020, he was a very capable pitcher. So. Yeah, and it's possible the Jays. You know, talk to him and said, "Hey, we like. You know, let's work on this." And maybe they yeah. see, see something that other people don't because they have him in the fold already. So maybe they're just going to continue working with him on that. Yeah. Okay, so then let's transition on to the other one. Um, this one was was just the other day. Drew Smiley to the Braves, one year, eleven million dollars. And so I think this one this one's a little less of a surprise than Robbie Ray, just because the twenty twenty numbers aren't as ugly at first glance. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and Smiley did have a strong finish to the 2020 season. He had increased velo, his curveball was a lot better, and his strikeouts went way up. Um, but this is still a guy that only made, I believe, seven appearances in 2020, and really hasn't been good <laughs> in a while. Hasn't been good and healthy in a while. Um, and I guess there's the adage, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. And so if the Braves have this money, you might as well spend it. Um, he's kind of their Cole Hamels replacement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, $11 million seems a tiny bit high, but it's nothing that I'm going to complain about. Yeah, no, his, his peripherals were good, as you mentioned. Um, you know, in our model, and he's got a little bit of surplus. He was probably worth maybe even 12 in a fair market. So 11's okay. You got to, you know... Um, and, you know, there's precedent for this. You can going back to the days where, like, you know, Rich Hill, you know, made four starts for the Red Sox and the A's, signed him for a $6 million deal based mm-hmm. on that. You know, other guys like, um, you know, you, you sort of have your radar up, like who's trending up a little bit. Now, all these, all these GMs are sort of now doing that, like, oh, OK, who looked really good in that month of September that may be kind of a bargain and Smiley fit that bill perfectly. He He looked really good. The other point I would make is that Sometimes guys get overlooked because where they're at in the arc of their recovery from Tommy John surgery, you see this with like, you know, Zach Wheeler and Lentz Lynn and guys who like have Tommy John first year back, they struggle a little bit because they're not quite there yet, either for health reasons or for it takes a while to get back in that groove again. Second year, a little bit, bit, bit better. Third year, they're like, wow, everything's great. That happened. You can chart that literally like a map with Wheeler and Lynn. And if you look closely at Smiley, it's a similar pattern. He was bad after he came back from Tommy John. wasn't quite healthy. Maybe he rushed it. Don't know. Um, it took him a while to kind of find his footing, and now he seems like he's found it. And GMs also know this, and they say, okay, he's finally found his groove. He's on the upswing. We're going to grab him. And that may be what happened here. Mm-hmm. I believe I saw on Twitter that the average salary um, in 2020 of the, uh, I believe, the top 100 starting pitchers was right around 11 mil. And so if you think Drew Smiley's realistically a top 100 starting pitcher, and I don't I don't think that's too big of a stretch yeah. to say, then, yeah, maybe this makes sense. Maybe that's a yeah. good number. And yeah. our, our numbers support that idea. So. Yeah, right. Okay, one last quick bit of news. We're running a little bit slow here. Um, Mike Clevenger. This one was kind of a shock here. <laughs> um, we, we had heard for a minute that, they, that he'd been working on a two-year deal with the Padres to buy out his last two years of arbitration. The Padres announced it yesterday, and then they tried to sneak into the second half of the deal of the tweet 
by the way, he's undergoing Tommy John surgery. He's missing the entire <laughs> 2021 season. This had to be negotiated after they knew. Because right, yeah. They, Just looking they at the structure have, of the deal. Exactly. They would not have given him a $2 million, you know, because he would have gotten much more than that in arbitration, mm-hmm. right? And so he wouldn't have agreed to that, you know. So he would have said, no, I'm going to get more if he was healthy. Clearly, he knew he wasn't healthy. So this had to be sort of, okay, you're having Tommy John, and let's make a fair deal for, you know, what we expect. Now, having said what I just said a moment ago with guys coming back from Tommy John, you have to kind of not expect a whole lot of greatness in 2022. Obviously, he's going to be out for all of 2021. It's going to take him a while to kind of find his rhythm the next year. So I think they're splitting the difference here, saying, okay, you probably are not going to make – you're not going to be as good as you might have been in 2022 so we're going to apply an injury risk discount and a kind of a shake off the rust discount and when you do that our numbers say he's still got a little bit of surplus there obviously it's nowhere near what he had before this all all happened um so i think they each kind of split the difference and said okay well, let's work it out hope for the best yeah. in 2022 yeah this is the injury risk was always baked in here uh we, we didn't necessarily see this coming but that's it's it's part of the reason not the only reason but part of the reason why when at the deadline, when everyone's making all these Mike Clevenger proposals for Patino or Gore or whoever, yeah. part of the reason that's not realistic and part of the reason that didn't happen, and instead the deal was kind of a handful of spare parts <laughs> in a way, yeah. um, was because there's significant injury risk here. And this is the worst case scenario, but it was certainly on the table. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. You don't want to see it. Padres were looking really fun and Clevenger was a big part of that. He's a talented pitcher when he's healthy. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully he can make it back and at least contribute in some way in 2022. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, Cleveland is feeling pretty good about that trade now. Yeah, they've they've done this twice now with him and Kluber. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Dodged two bullets there. That's a good point. All right, let's head on to the trade of the week. Uh, this one's a little controversial. We got 12 thumbs ups to 23 thumbs downs. Um, but we've seen a handful of proposals somewhat similar to this one. Uh, Mets fans are really excited, and for good reason. And Cubs fans are not as excited, and also for good reason. Um, so in this deal, the Mets would be picking up Chris Bryant, who we have at 5.3 mil. You Darvish, who we have at 20.1. As well as Ryan Jensen, right-handed pitching prospect, at 4.8 mil. In exchange... The Cubs would be receiving third baseman J.D. Davis at 18.7 mil and third base prospect Mark Vientos at 13.2. So really what's going on here is the Mets <laughs> in this proposal are really putting their money where their mouth is on this whole budget salary thing. They're taking on big budget and or big salary in Chris Bryant, big salary in Hugh Darvish and getting a couple of very talented players back as a result and all they're giving up is kind of their current third baseman jd davis bat first glove is kind of a work in progress there <laughs> and one of their mid-ranked solid prospect not their top prospect mark vientos so what do you think here i think it's a fair deal especially in this economic climate you know there's you know, we don't even know if chris bryant's going to be tendered a contract first of all because you know the, the cubs obviously have salary issues um, I do think he will be traded. Um, I think it's pretty clear he's, he's going to be traded for a very small return. You know, um, We've seen variations of Mets-Cubs deals here with Bryant as kind of the piece. 
and I sort of highlighted this one because it had Darvish in it as well, which made it a little bit more interesting than some of the other ones because, like, hmm, if they really go that far, if the Cubs really want to rebuild, then it makes sense to, to clear salary and just start fresh, and, and maybe Darvish is on the block. And so <clears throat> now from the Mets' perspective, obviously, to your point, you know, they, they get, you know, they really have to pony up, but they get uh, Darvish is, was a Cy Young candidate, had a fantastic year. They have him for three more years. Bryant, who knows what you're going to get at this point because he's been in decline, but he has obviously some back uh, history of, of being very good. Um, and it's really not much to give up. You know, Davis is trying to find a defensive home. He, they've played him in the corners. They've tried him in various places. If the National League gets a DH, he's probably a DH candidate. And Vientos is a prospect that maybe the Cubs would hope uh, would replace Bryant. I've seen him in a lot of these proposals for, for Bryant. So it makes sense because he's, he, he'd essentially be replacing him in third base in, in, in the future. So... I, I think it's an interesting sort of fit in I'm sort of generally speaking now of all these proposals around Bryant to the Mets because um, I think it may be kind of the splash that the Mets want. It's only a one year commitment, um, you know, so it, it would send a message to the fan base. Yes, that they're serious at winning and they don't mind picking up a little bit of salary to do so. So it's OK. Uh, I'm not crazy about it, especially the Darvish thing like that gives me pause, but I, I get it. <laughs> this feels like plan b to me <laughs> for the mets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um right now they're they have a crowded infield between some of their established guys and some of their young guys um, i don't think that's at the top of their list and i certainly don't think that's at the top of their list to the point of giving up significant assets and taking on a 19 million dollar salary roughly for bryant mm-hmm. um because it, as much as we can talk about cohen opening the checkbook it's not a blank check it's, yeah. there's, there's a limit here somewhere. He's not going to sign every free agent on the market. Um, there's got to be some level of realism here. There's already some money on the books there. And so I think their number one target, so so he's already mentioned pitching and catching is is their weakness, and I'd agree. I think his number one target has to be JT Realmuto. I, I don't yeah. see a world in which they don't go hard for him. <laughs> He, he's just such a perfect for, fit for them in a lot of different ways. Um, and he's going to cost you upwards of 25 mil a year, probably. probably. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Somewhere in that, in that 20 to uh-huh. 30-ish neighborhood. Wide range there. Don't really know how the yeah. market's going to affect that this year, but it, he's not going to be cheap. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> and so you got that on the books. And then can you really afford to then add, oh, here's another 25 a year in Darvish, and here's another 20 on Bryant. Yeah, so this seems right. more like a fallback to that not working out, which it's yeah. not a horrible idea. And obviously we run a trade proposal site, not a free agency proposal site. So <laughs> if you yeah. want to make trade proposals, you do it. Uh, yeah. You can't really include JT Real Muto in any of these ideas. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't hate the fit. I think Darvish is an interesting trade target here, um, especially for a team like the Mets, who might be one of the only ones who can take that contract on. Um, and he's he's been so good, he has some notable positive value, like I said, 20.1. Compared to a lot of the Cubs' other guys who don't have a lot of value, like Bryant, maybe yep. he's an interesting one. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with your points. And Sandy Alderson actually said... Um, you know, their preference is to go the free agent market first. They don't want to spend a lot of, they don't, they, you know, there's two forms of capital, right? There's monetary capital and player capital. And he basically said, we're going to try to avoid 
trading player capital because their yeah. farm is still not great. They're trying to build a more sustainable model over time. So plan A would be, yeah, the real mutos and the free agents as opposed to the trades and scenarios like this. But yes, it's fun to, it's fun to speculate. It's possible mm-hmm. they can do both. I almost forgot to mention there that uh, proposal was submitted by Metro Villain. And as usual, if you guys want your trade proposal to be featured on the show, just submit it. And if it's good enough, if it gets enough attention, enough likes, enough dislikes, <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about it. All right, so let's head into our feature discussion here. And Francisco Lindor. So, so you wrote an article about his value, kind of what the market's looking like there. Yep. Let's Let's start with what the industry thinks his market looks like. So... MLB.com, a couple days ago, posted an article. Here are seven potential indoor trade proposals. And so there's seven different staff writers in here. Um, Andrew Simon, Thomas Harrigan, Matt Kelly, Jason Catania, uh, David Adler, Manny Rantawa, and Sarah Langs. So they each took a team and put together a trade proposal for Lindor. Now, (laughs) just off the... So seven trade proposals... If you'd like, I can even tell you the teams. How many of these seven do you think are accepted by our model? Zero, maybe one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think you'll be a little surprised. The number is three. Okay, all right. Better than I thought. Yeah. Um, but but that, that three comes with the caveat that the uh, standard deviation on these deals is pretty heavy. Um, there are a couple that... Oh boy, you'd have to you have to clone Francisco Lindor a couple times to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, let's just let's try to breeze through this real quick. Um, so the Blue Jays' proposal here is Lindor for Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alejandro Kirk, and Kevin Smith. Um, this one's not accepted, but it's with it's one of the more reasonable overpays on here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have it as so we have Lindor at thirty six point two million. Um, and then that Blue Jays package is at 52.7. So that's maybe you squint and see it's working. <clears throat> our, right. It's not within our range. Um, we would consider that a miss on our part. But, like, at least it's kind of there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I see the thinking there. I see where they're coming from. I, I agree. It's a little, it's a little uh, heavy, but... I, you know, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it happening in reality. Um, here's the thing: um, no disrespect to journalists, but they don't crunch numbers. They're they're looking at fits. They're looking at it from a different point of view. They don't really know mm-hmm. what trade. Most of them don't really understand trade value. Um, and I've seen this time and time and time again. You know, that's one of the reasons why why our site exists is to hopefully clear the air and say, here's what we think is trade value. We think you do a, a pretty good job at it. So, but most journalists are not are not checking our site, and they're just sort of I don't want to say making it up, but they're but they're coming at it from a totally different point of view. Um, so these are all going to be off, and that's typical. And it's one of the things that kind of, on the one hand, kind of kind of gets me riled up. But on the other hand, said, well, on the other hand, that's the niche we're filling. So hopefully, over time, they can come to their senses a little bit more. But um, that's why a lot of these are going to be off. This one is not as off as some of the other ones are going to say. I'm sure. Yes. What this this article tells me is I don't believe any of these. I could be wrong. <laughs> But I don't believe any of these seven writers have yet heard of us, or if they have, have decided to use our simulator. 
And that's that's okay. Uh, we're we're still working toward that. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of writers do actually, and mm -hmm. uh, I've seen many of them use our our numbers in their proposals, and and I I think their articles are much stronger for it as well. Right, right. It's always great to have something you can put behind this rather than oh I'm gonna pick this prospect from here and this one from here, and it just looks like you're kind of cherry picking down their top prospect list. It's it's much better if you have something to say. Yeah. There's some basis behind this. There's a framework here. Yeah. Um, so then we'll head down to the Phillies deal. Uh, this one's surprisingly pretty close. It's Lindor, who, like I said, at 36.2, and Roberto Perez, who we have at negative 1.4. He had a pretty rough 2020 um, to the Phillies, and the Phillies are sending back four prospects, uh, Rafael Marchand, Francisco Morales, Jalen Ortiz, and Bryson Stott. And so we have this as a minor overpay. They're giving up, uh, the Phillies are giving up 40.8, and getting back 34.8 but hey it's accepted it's within the yes. realm of possibilities and it's it makes it looks good to me makes some sense it, it does make some sense um not sure the indians would want to trade perez they seem to like him he works well with their pitchers yeah so but but and in this case taking him out helps the deal <laughs> it yeah <clears throat> um and I, I get that Marshawn would be the replacement for him. I'm not sure if he's ready, but but yeah. uh, that, that makes sense. Um, the other thing we see a lot in these Lindor trade proposals is the Indian fans keep saying, you know, yes, uh, well, obviously we'd be giving up our starting shortstop, but we have a lot of shortstop prospects coming up. So they're, they're more interested in outfield prospects. So mm -hmm. um, that's what I don't, I don't think Jalen Ortiz quite fills that. Yeah, right. So, that's so there's a little so, bit of a fit question there as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what was so attractive about the Blue Jays one is you get Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and he can just slot right in right away. And that yeah. that seems like their MO with these trades. They want an MLB, a young major leaguer that they can stick into their lineup or into their rotation right away. That seems like something they often target. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and spoil it. The worst of these deals. <laughs> Um, not by a lot. There's another really bad one in here, but uh, <laughs> the worst of these deals, and that's with the Reds. I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to name these players, and I'm going to ask you how much of an overpay you think this is. Oh, my God. Okay, so we got Jose Garcia, infield prospect. Yeah. Uh, outfield prospect, and I believe their 2020 draft pick, Austin Hendrick, unless I'm making that up. No, I think mm -hmm. he is their 2020 draft pick. Yep. Uh, infield prospect Jonathan India, former top infield prospect Nick Senzel, and catching prospect Tyler Stevenson. So I'm guessing that's might have crossed the, the hundred threshold on one side of the trade versus 36 on the other. It's way, way too high. You would be correct. It is 117.9 oh to 36.2. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you got Senzel, who we have as worth more than Lindor on his own. And then you threw in four more prospects in about the 20 mil range. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's way too much, guys. So, so you know, you only get one Lindor, one year of Lindor, and I haven't really broken down, and I'm not going to do it too much in detail, but it's one year. He's coming off of two years that are not elite. He's still good defensively, but his offense has been slipping a little bit, if we're looking in closely, and... You know, his surplus is only 18 and a half, but we added more to that just to get it up. The, the value of the draft pick, which could go highest 
is nine at 10% for marketability and then skew the numbers high because we know there's gonna be a bidding war. So that gets us up to 36. But that's even in this sort of tight budget sort of environment that we're in. That seems, I, I feel strongly that that's fair value. Yeah. So I could live with, you know, a package coming back that's 40-ish, really squinting like the Blue Jays won at 50, but oh my God, 117, way <laughs> off. <laughs> Yes, let's take all of your good young players for one year of our one good one. Oh, no, 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 no. This one, good lord. I mean, <laughs> you can look at it point by point and say, like, hey, Garcia made the majors last year and wasn't that good. Uh, India's stock has fallen a little bit. Uh, Senzel's kind of running out of time here. Uh, Stevenson, whatever. <laughs> you can't... <sighs> You can look at you could look at like the tenth percentile value for all five of these guys, and you've still got like sixty million in value, yeah. something like that. You're still nowhere no, near that's, close. That, I'm sorry, that's just not happening in reality. Oh, oh yeah, and just just throw on your <laughs> twenty twenty draft pick on top as a sweetener. Uh, yeah, you know right. that guy that you really liked enough to take him in the first round. Like, no, we we need him. <laughs> now, if I'm the Indians, of course I'm going to say yes to that package. Cause yes, it's yes, but but no way the Reds would do that, and you know they're not that dumb, so. All right, so let's let's head back to reality. Um, I say that, and this is the framework of, I, I want to say, hundreds of Yankees trade offers we've seen on the site. Yeah. They they have this obsession, and I guess it works, but they have this obsession with just moving their spare parts around to get the next superstar that's on the market. Mm -hmm. um, and this one, the values line up pretty well. It's Clint Frazier. Miguel Andujar, Albert Abreu, Abreu, excuse me, and Luis Gill. Uh, so that adds up to 34.4 for Lindor's 36.2. Yep. And that's that's heavily carried by Clint Frazier, who had a pretty solid 2020 boost at his value. Yep. So that's, got... that's, that's a trade, like you said, we see a lot of those on trade boards, very close to that. Um, it's interesting because Frazier would seem to fit the mold um, because he's an outfielder who can hit, um, still questionable defense. Prospects. Yeah, but yeah, I was just going to say, he's, he's a former Indians fan. They already traded him once, so I'm wondering if they would want him back, is, is yeah. question one. Um, Andujar is way overrated, I'm sorry to say, by Yankees fans, but any objective measure, so he's just really not much value left there because, mm -hmm. you know, there's no defensive value. He's out of options. He's been... He's been not been given chances, which if you read the tea leaves of front office moves means they're not they're not as high on him as perhaps fans would be. You mm -hmm. know, projection systems are not high on him at all. He's below one war player. So there's not much there. Um, the other prospects, okay, sure. But I mean, it's hard to put up a Yankees package together, and I've seen other comments on other Yankees proposals without including Frazier. And there's, there's a school of thought that says Cashman probably doesn't want to trade Frazier now. He might have earlier when he was burning his options, and and so. But now that he's sort of broken out, yeah, he needs them actually. Um, I, I just it's hard to find a fit with the Yankees. So even though this one is on par from a value standpoint, I'm not sure the Indians would be interested. I'm not sure the Yankees would be interested, frankly. I, I, just from a fit perspective. Yeah, you go down the list at some of their players they might be willing to move in this type of deal. Yeah. The first one that the first two that jump off the page are Davy Garcia and Clark Schmidt, and they've just the, the Yankees have been very clear that they don't have any plans on trading either of those guys. 
they really like the young starting pitching depth there. They like both of those guys, the talent that they bring. And then the only other prospect that's even in the centerpiece kind of value range is Jason Dominguez, and he's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Untouchable, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, then, and then, you know, you get down to, like, the Florio level, whose stock mm-hmm. has dropped dramatically, and, like, yeah, I think the Indians could do better. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, we found the other ridiculous one now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, I missed a player in this one, and I don't think he'll make any bit of a difference. Let's take a look here. Uh, this is this is good content. Uh, I can't even find him on the list. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get through to the deal. Um, so it's the Indians and the Mets. Uh, the Indians would be getting Lindor, or excuse me, the Mets would be getting Lindor and Austin Hedges, mm-hmm. and the Mets are giving up Jeff McNeil who is already worth almost double Lindor's value, but okay. Okay. Andres Jimenez, mm-hmm. who is worth almost Lindor's value, but okay. Mm-hmm. Pete Crow Armstrong, again, another 2020 <laughs> first rounder. And Riley Gilliam. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the last so, one. So I found Hedges, and I'm adding him into the deal, and the discrepancy here is 105.3 to 38.4. Yeah, that's way too much. McNeil, McNeil alone is is too much. Um, you take him out, and you've got something that we can at least talk about <laughs> between Jimenez yeah. and Crow Armstrong. I don't think they're eager to move either of those guys, especially Crow Armstrong. They seem like they love him. Yeah, and it doesn't really fit the needs of the Indians from a fit perspective because they really want an impact outfielder. Yeah, um, and that's not really it, and because obviously Crow Armstrong is gonna you know, take a while to get to the majors. Um, so you're prospect. basically just replacing him with Jimenez from a fit perspective, who's, you know, really slick fielder. The bat's still a question mark, but he got six years of control there. I believe it's six. Um, yeah. So, you know, and it's for, for one year. And, and so, but, you know, you could probably, it's not quite the same value as Lindor, so you need another piece, but it's hard to find a fit. Maybe you throw Vientos in there if you're just going to alter it. Maybe it's Jimenez and Vientos. I don't know. Um, or need, But you still need an outfielder, so it's hard to find a fit with the Mets a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's definitely an overpay, and I don't see it happening. Yep, I, I think that's as clear as day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so now this one is, is also a minor overpay, uh, but still accepted. It's the Cardinals. They'd be getting just Lindor and sending back Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader, um, what's his first name? Johan Oviedo, yeah. and Angel Rondon. <clears throat> yeah, that's an overpay. So, yeah, it's it's a slight overpay. It's at forty-two point two to thirty-six point two. Yeah, um, not cr- you can not crazy. Yeah. yeah, you can see the fit on paper with mm-hmm. Bader. And Edmund can play wherever you need him to on the diamond. You can even stick him at shortstop for a year to fill in for Lindor. Um, but do they really want, given their current outfield configuration, do they really want one of the main pieces for Lindor to be another glove-first outfielder? Right. They have Delano to Shields, who, I get it, he's a bit one of those Rajay Davis types where the speed is there, the glove isn't necessarily on that same level. Um, but they, they have a pretty decent defensive outfield between him, Bradley Zimmer, Tyler Naquin. Uh, just none of them can hit their weight. <laughs> and I think Bader might just be another one of those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he reminds me a lot of Kevin Kiermeyer uh, a few years ago. I and, mean, you know, mm-hmm. really great glove defensively. 
bad is still questionable, average to slightly below average. But you still get a lot of war value out of it because it's a premium position and he plays it well. Um, so, but but to your point, I think they need a little bit more offense there. So it's questionable from that standpoint. Oviedo is interesting because he's got, you know, potential to be, you know, his value could really skyrocket. He's one of those guys that has kind of an up arrow because um, he's got some good stuff and and kind of the the frame to be a really solid starter if he can put it together. He's a lot of issues, but but he's he's potentially there. Um, so, but they don't really need the pitching. Uh, they're they're still stacked with pitching. So, not sure this is the best package that would win the day for them either. Um, I'm surprised they didn't talk to the Angels if they're going to go this route because the Angels still seem like a fit to me because they just lost Andrelton Simmons. They need a shortstop, and they yes, they can play Fletcher there. He's probably better at second. Um, the Angels are in the same market as the Dodgers, who went for bets and so Artie Marino might say give me the next bet okay Lindor give me Lindor and so he might say that to Manassian and say okay and you know that just seems like a fit to me and they could send him Brandon mm-hmm. Marsh the way it just it just that one's just to me that's still the the the, the simplest deal um, are you are you cheating are you looking at numbers right now or... no it's off top uh, okay of okay because uh, Brandon Marsh and Francisco Lindor have the exact same trade value so I know right that's <laughs> how perfect is that <laughs> Well, it's because I've seen it in proposals enough. So I, yeah. I can say, yeah, all right. It's just, they're, they're doing it. Maybe throw in a sweetener, a small prospect. Yeah. And get it done. Yeah. And, and given their glut in the outfield there, I mean, that just makes a lot of sense. Marsh is near MLB ready. Yep. Um, the Angels still have Adele and Jordan Adams and obviously Trout. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, that it's a, it's a bit of a scary thought, but it makes sense. And, and then you have Pujols coming off the books next year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can put that money toward locking Lindor up, and then a Trout Lindor core, Trout Lindor Otani. Yeah, there you go. Market I mean, heaven. People people would clown on them because they still need pitching, but you can if you score seven runs a game, how much pitching do you need? Yeah. All right. So heading into this last proposal here, and this is this is kind of one of those. It's not egregiously bad, but it's one of those eye rolls that you see everywhere on social media. That's like the no. <laughs> uh, so this one's with those Dodgers. And I, I could have you guess who the centerpiece is here, but it's uh, it's Dustin May. Okay. <laughs> it's Dustin May and a couple spare parts, Matt Beatty and Cody Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, who are both in the million range. Yeah. Uh, but we got Trevor May at 57.2. Yep. And that's he, he's just more valuable than Lindor. That's all you can really say there. There's a reason he wasn't traded for... <laughs> Mookie Betts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Dustin May's got a lot of promise. Everyone can see that. It's got great stuff. Um, you know, the Dodgers have this weird thing, though, where they kind of break in their pitchers as either swingmen or relievers or both. Or as a starter, really, they did it with Julio Urias. They did it with Stripling. They did, you know, they're doing it with May. They're doing it with Gosselin. Like, yeah. they've, they've got this sort of thing where they sort of ease them in. But that shouldn't be... You shouldn't stop and think, okay, well, maybe Dustin May is going to be a reliever. I don't think so at all. Their plan is to have him be a starter for the next five years. And it's basically what the similar path that Walker Buehler took. And, mm-hmm. and look at how valuable he is now. So, you know, and the Dodgers have a plan. They're confident about it. They know it. Uh, right now he's in the 50s, partly because of prospect value, partly because of, you know, projections of what he's going to do as a major leaguer, and partly because the Dodgers just know how, how to do this. So I don't think they're giving him up. Yeah, if you're the Dodgers, you have that opening at third base uh, with Turner leaving as a free mm-hmm. agent. You could always they could always bring him back, but 
if you're the Dodgers, why? Why do? Why is this? I I could understand it if they had lost the World Series last year, but mm-hmm. they didn't. They won. They finally got their ring. Yep. They have no pressure, given the talent that's already on that roster. They have no pressure to push more chips in, to win now. Yeah. Give up five years of May for one of Lindor. And I mean, yeah, it makes them better, but it also forces them to move Corey Seager to third base, and who knows how that goes. I think they're just better off either replacing Turner internally or bringing him back or finding some other stopgap option at third base. Hang on to five years of the 100-mile-an-hour sinker baller with the flowing red locks (laughs) (laughs) and see what he can turn into. And worst comes to worst, and you somebody's underperforming either at third base or wherever or there's an injury you just do what they did with Manny Machado you go pick up Lindor at the trade deadline if you can yeah. or an equivalent uh, a similar star caliber infielder who's on the market yeah. um, to fill that hole because they can always do that and it won't cost them as much as a Trevor or excuse me as a Dustin May because it'll be mid-season values yes um, by the way, the guys at um, Baseball Prospectus, uh, when Dustin May was a prospect, somehow they were cheeky and they named him Ginger Guard because the hair reminded him of <laughs> Cinder Guard and it was red. Anyway, so I keep thinking he's Ginger Guard. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, to your point, the, uh, the Dodgers just won the World Series. They were hungry last year, and that's why they went after bets. They went big game hunting. They got bets. You know, they overpaid for him a bit, but they got him, and it, it obviously made the difference, um, and they got over the hump. So I don't think – I agree with you. I don't think there's that much pressure to add yet another star and give up a, an expensive asset to do so. I don't think Andrew Friedman is going to make that sort of deal because he's, he's not there. Um, you know, and you've got Corey Seager at short. Yes, you could move him to third. There's not a huge compelling reason to do so. To your point, you could just re-sign Turner and – you know, try to win another World Series that way without giving up Dustin May. So, you're, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it makes more sense. Yeah. And to be clear, none of this is meant as a dig at MLB.com or any of these writers. Um, to their credit, to the credit of all seven of these writers, um, six of them, so they include a little segment of who says no at the bottom of each little blurb. And six of them said the team, uh, the non-Indians team would say no, which I think is pretty in line with yeah. what the values say. The one that said the Indians would say no is Thomas Harrigan, and he had the Phillies proposal. Um, and I and we kind of discussed that there, where maybe the values are solid, but the Indians might say no because they want to hang on to Roberto Perez because they don't want a shortstop coming back as a headliner in Bryson Stott. Um, we went into that. Um, and so, so, like I said, nothing against any of these writers. In particular, uh, Sarah Langs had the Dodgers proposal and she's a, a great Twitter follow, a great writer, uh, one of my favorites from MLB.com. So just just fun to look at to kind of compare the more casual opinion of knee-jerk trade values, trade proposals, to kind of what we're pretty confident in saying this is how it actually is. Yeah, and you know, you see this in other publications too. The Athletic likes to do this thing where they get their beat writers together and they kind of hash it out. Yeah. They did this last year with uh, the Padres and the Rangers trying to work out a Nomar Mazara deal, and, and it was way <laughs> off at the time. And um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not uh, shy to say, you know, they were way off because obviously Mazara went for a minor prospect. So, yeah. you know, it's just I. I they're journalists. They're not data analysts. I understand, and they're trying to look at it from a fit perspective, more so than a value perspective. So that's okay. 
yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, with Lindor here? I know, I know you have a whole article that people can read if they want more of your yeah. thoughts here. <clears throat> yeah. So my point, my main point is that we're already kind of stretching it to get to 36, you know, cause it's, you know, on paper, the fair value is really more like 18 or so, but then we're adding the draft pick and then we're adding the marketability and then we're sort of skewing high. And so just to get to 36, but that's not even accounting the sort of potential budget control issues that people have and they're trying to cut budget everywhere. So like, you know, the fact that he's going to get probably around 21 million based on the uh, Matt Swartz sort of estimate, um, I think is around is, is right. So you're already looking at, okay, I got to take on 21 and a half million when I'm cutting budget and you want to give me, and I'm supposed to give up another prospect when those prospects are actually more dear than ever, given my budget concerns. It's already kind of, I don't want to say a stretch, but we're, we're pushing it a little bit to get to 36. So over that, maybe a little bit more over that, but I, you know, at the high range, but it's, yeah. It doesn't seem like an environment where he's going to get a lot more, especially when you look at his stats and he hasn't been great the last two years. It's just hard to see a huge overpay here. Yeah, I think there's this really good line here in your article uh, from BTV user JSMort99 who said, there's a limited market for him. It takes a contending team, which eliminates quite a few teams. They won't trade within the AL Central. It has to be a team without a franchise shortstop. And lastly, it has to be a fairly big market for a team to give up top prospects to take on a one-year rental with the idea to sign him to a long-term deal. So how many teams does that leave? The Yankees, Angels, Braves, Cardinals, and Dodgers? And then you have to look at the farm systems of those teams and see if they have mm -hmm. the prospects that fit the Indians' needs. And so like we were saying, we don't think the Yankees do have that fit. Yeah. We're not sure the Dodgers have the motivation. I'm yeah. not sure the Cardinals have that fit. We think yeah. the Angels have that fit and the motivation, so maybe they're an underrated landing spot here and I then there's so. the braves who already have dansby swanson at shortstop do they really want to move him for a year yeah so the market's not super strong even in a normal season right the budget's a little bit nor more normal and right. the door's not going to be cheap on the salary books yeah and then one other point is the indians don't really have a lot of leverage because everyone yeah. knows they're cutting budget they already threw brad hand out and like <laughs> You know, every every team goes, okay, you, we know you want to cut salary, so we don't have to give you a huge super package to get it. And, you know, everybody else is in the same boat. So, and they've already announced their intentions. And they, you know, if, if they were trying to trade him three years ago, kind of in a sneaky way, when he had enormous value, that would have been totally different. They would have had all the leverage in the world, but now they don't. So if you're banking on like, yes, a couple teams will outbid, but as you just mentioned, there's it's hard to find those teams even. So it's hard to see him going for much more than this. Mm. Um, a bit of an update to some earlier speculation we have. Just Jeff Passan uh, reporting that Epstein, oh, it looks like Theo said in a letter he wrote uh, to his friends today that he's probably not headed to the Mets or Phillies. He said, next summer will be my first in 30 years not clocking into work every day at a major league ballpark. So could go back on that but it looks like theo epstein might just be taking a year off okay good for him well we'll burn out clean out the you know get a little restoration of energy fine yeah start over again with a new team yep all right is there anything else you wanted to touch on today we've went a little long we've covered a lot of really great topics anything I, else <clears throat> i would just want to say um we're keeping a close eye on the market um we've been updating some values just a little bit slowly about it but um 
you know, um, most of them are now updated for the off season. You might see a little tweak here and there um, based on any sort of new data that comes in. But for the most part, we're confident that they're updated. Having said that, though, our dollars per war assumption may still warrant some change if we see more movement of the hand or wong variety where people are really kind of cutting you know we hadn't really seen it so far in the standard starting pitchers that we talked about we think those are around fair value so maybe that's okay so maybe sort of positional it may be kind of you know skewed a little bit more towards you know uh players who are making more money versus you know younger players who are making minimum my point is that there could be some changes in the valuations you know based on the marketing activity and right now it's too early to tell but we're keeping an eye on it right exactly um and then we should we're hoping in a couple weeks with our next episode to come back with uh a look at some of the 40 man crunch maybe some of the non-tenders is mm -hmm. does that sound good oh yeah there'll be a lot of those yeah so i think that'll do it for this week uh thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on twitter at baseballvalues We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down that uh, those 40-man and non-tender decisions and any other off-season news and updates that come through in that time. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the off-season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh. <laughs>